Good. Isn't that good? Appreciate all good singing tonight. Declan, we'll call him Declan and the girls, right? <laughs> Wonderful. I appreciate that. Good to have all of you here. I want you to turn to Revelation 2 tonight. Revelation chapter 2. And uh, we'll continue as we're studying the seven churches. And uh, the last one, of course, Ephesus. We looked at the problems there and also how the Lord commended them. And now we're looking at the church at Smyrna. And uh, it's interesting, this particular letter is the shortest of the seven. It's only a few verses. It begins in verse number 8 of chapter 2. The Bible said, Unto the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. I know thy works and tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. And I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are uh, the synagogue of Satan. Verse 10, he says, Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye, ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. So as I mentioned, this uh, particular letter is the shortest one. And Smyrna, to give a little bit of history and the demographics, was found itself living in the shadow of Ephesus. Ephesus was a more prominent city and Smyrna was a city known for its beauty, known for its wealth. And because of its location, it was a major trading hub. And I think it's important as we study these things to understand uh, where these churches are located, right? We'll see some that are located in uh, metropolitan, what we would consider that today, and, and uh, some that are not, some that we would kind of uh, really wouldn't be a great church in today's standards. But here God uh, recognizes these churches and also these church ages. And we'll see again that we can see some of this, all of these church ages or these characteristics in the day we live. And so because of its location, it was a major trading hub. And the citizens were also free people like those of Ephesus who chose to have their allegiance to Rome. Ephesus, Smyrna, was consumed with recreation. We talked a little bit about that. And as we look at our nation, we're the same way. Brother John, if it doesn't feel good, if it's not fun... We don't do it, right? And it's not just the kids. I mean, you look and we uh, hear what these young ladies sang about little as much when God is in it. And we look at our responsibility and labor for the Lord. And if it's not pleasurable, if it's not fun, we just say, well, I don't need to do it and the Lord will understand. And they were no different. No doubt if uh, they were here today, they would enjoy the NBA and stock car racing and Fishing and golf and, you know, all the things we enjoy today. Again, I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with those things as long as they don't get in the way of God. But oftentimes our recreation, because we like pleasure and because we like things to be fun, right? Even our young people, I'm glad we can do some fun things with them. But parents, don't just send them to the fun activities. When they go to youth revivals and things like that, they ought to go that too. And Smyrna had multiple temples and 
one of the major religions or what they worshipped again is the uh, is the temp- in the temple of Diana, and so they were. The citizens in Ephesus were thought to be a questionable reputation. We saw that last time, but here these citizens were more honorable and well-educated and what we would consider enlightened people. You would maybe consider them elite. Does that sound familiar today, right? You, you, you folks that go to church three or four times a week and believe your Bible and you don't understand the science and you don't understand how things work, you're commoners, you're... Uh, uh, you know, you shop at Walmart and, and uh, your deplorables and all that type. They, are we, we're kind of seeing the, the same thing, are we not? So the church at Smyrna was known as a suffering church. And it meant daily putting your life on the line to be a follower of Christ. No doubt we're not really there, but it seems like we're getting there, aren't we? The church was being formed in the fires of adversity. And it's interesting to me... It seems like as God's people prosper, right? You go all the way back to the Old Testament. As God's people prospered, they, they stopped relying on God. Like, we don't need you anymore. And so we see over and over God's people brought back into bondage. And they cry out to God. And even in the children of Israel, when they were liberated from Egypt, they cross over the Red Sea and they're complaining and murmuring, right? We were talking this morning about uh, about Aaron and Moses, how you remember the second time, the first time God told Aaron they were thirsty and they were complaining about not having water. He told Moses, smite the rock, and water came out. The second time he said, speak to the rock, and water would come out, yet he smote the rock. And so what I'm saying is, we see as God was taking care of the children of Israel in the wilderness, he provided manna, they weren't content with manna. Provided quail, they weren't content with quail. He provided water, they weren't content with that. And finally, hey, even Moses sent spies over into the promised land and they brought back the bounty of the promised land and they said, well, we, we can't overcome that. Are these the same people that saw God part the Red Sea? But see, we're the same way today. And so here at this church at Smyrna, they're being formed, they're being fashioned in the, in the fires of adversity. And so I'd say this, don't look at adversity as a bad thing always. It's not pleasurable, it's not fun, but it's needful, right? And so here, we'll deal with two things. Number one, uh, verse 8 is the commencement. Notice what the Bible said, Under the angel of the church in Smyrna write, these things saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. That's important. This was not John the Revelator saying this. This was not Paul the Apostle. This was not John the Baptist. This was not Moses. This was Jesus. My friend, may I say this? It doesn't matter how you feel and I feel. It doesn't matter what the world tells us. It doesn't matter how... Things are perceived in this world. What matters is what Jesus says. And as they sang that song, this blessed old book, friend, that's why the Bible is so important to us. It is not a collection of different writings from men. It is the inspired, inerrant, infallible, preserved Word of God. And if we won't live by this book, friend, I promise you this, uh, we'll never last. And so he deals with this is the revelation of the sovereign. Now, again, we think of that word sovereign, we 
talked about that today, we hear that word sovereign, it automatically turns us off. Now, I'm not talking about Calvinism. I'm talking about the fact that there is a sovereign God who has everything in his control. And he understood here in this revelation, this church at Smyrna, he understood what they were going through. As a matter of fact, in this revelation of the sovereign, we see that the Bible talks here in verse 8 about him being the master. The first and last is how it describes him. And in that description, it speaks of his presence. And his presence is what it's saying is, God, go back in time and even before time, as far as you want to, before recorded time, even before that, you go back as far as you want to, and the, the sovereign, the first and the last was there. Let me stop. You're not getting that. Your God was there. He was not, there was no beginning to him. He's always been. He knows what has gone on in history past and even before history he was there before the world was formed he was there before uh, listen before these uh, uh, brainiacs thought that there was a, uh, a mass of debris he was there and then you go ahead as far as you want to you you take the end of time as we know it you add the the millennial reign of Jesus Christ you add all that up and you just keep going out into the future as far as you want to go, just keep on. Hey, man, you with me? Just keep on heading that way. Keep going north. He'll be there. And so if he always has been and he always will be, may I say he's ever present today as well. He never has not been and he always will be. But he's not a past tense God and he's not a future God. He's a today kind of God. He's an ever present God. And so he's letting them know that Though they may not be able to track him and they may not understand all the fire they're going through that he's right in the midst of it with them. May I say today, when you don't understand the direction of God and you don't see the hand of God moving like you once did, he's right in the midst. He's ever present. He not only talks about his present, he talks about his preeminence. Amen. And under the angel of the church at Smyrna, these things saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. He is the one and only God. Let me say it again. He is the one and only God. I was hearing something today or this week, and, and someone said, Well, when, when, whenever you have the absence of God in a society, there's a vacuum there. And what fills that space are the gods of lust and the gods of... and just names all this stuff. And I thought, something didn't rub me right there. Because all of those gods are created beings. Your God is not created. See, that people may fashion these gods. But there's only one true God. Now, now let me say this. We say that, but how many gods have you fashioned in your life? How many idols do you have in your life? You say, I don't have a, I don't have a little tiki in my house. 
Yeah, but sometimes we got a cell phone that takes precedent over God. Sometimes we've got a sport. Sometimes we've got children. Sometimes we've got activities. Sometimes we've got a show. Sometimes we've got things that just get in the way. Sometimes our pocketbook does. Amen. I'm saying, what is taking the place of the preeminence of God? The first place. That's what He wants. First place in your life. He wants to be Lord of all or not Lord at all. You, you're not going to make him Lord over some things, but not all things. He, he, he deserves to have the, the throne room of your heart tonight. He's worthy of that. Why? Because he, he's always been and he always will be. And then, not only is he dealing with his preeminence, he's dealing with his performance. All that is seen and unseen is in his control. See, the, the, this church was going through all this fire and he's writing this letter and said, don't worry about it, I've got it under control. You may not understand it, Currytown Baptist Church, you may not, but, but let's find out. I mean, I mean, when it's all, let's just find out. Let, let's stop saying, God, show me how you're orchestrating this, show me your plan, show me the, the dots, right? And, and I, No, let's, let's quit with all that. Let's just say, you lead, we'll follow. You, you, you step out in the preeminent spot and we'll just file in behind you. Wherever you want to go, we're going to go. Whatever you want to do, we're gonna, whatever it is in your, in your plan, because you're the sovereign. You're the one who has it all under control. I don't need to understand. May I say this? When you get like that, and I'm not always like that, Brother Jimmy. I'm, I'm not trying to elevate and say I'm always just, man, whatever God you want. There's sometimes I'm going now. But, but I, I do know this. The times that I've just said, you know what, God, it's yours. My life is yours. Whatever it is you want to do, there's a peace in knowing that I don't have to worry about it. I, I, I'm just different. I know you listen. You're just, you're just weird preacher. I am. Brother Eddie, I have never, and I'm not, again, don't. Get upset. I'm not critical. I'm just saying this. I have never once got on an airplane and stressed out about crashing. I just hadn't. I mean, you say, well, it's just, you know, I don't know. I'm guessing the guy flying the thing knows what he's doing, right? 33,000 feet in the air. I guess he knows what he's doing. And every time I've gone on an airplane, they've landed where we're supposed to be going. So next time I get on an airplane to fly somewhere, I'm probably not going to say, to Lord, I don't know about this time. And it, well, I better be careful, y'all. There might be a plane crash. I'm involved with it. But I, it, it, there's, there's, listen, I'll get on that plane other than being cramped up. I don't get on there and I can read. I can sleep. Praise God. I can get some good sleep on an airplane. Why? Because there's nothing I can do about it. I mean, that dude up in the front, either he knows what he's doing or he don't. But me stressing out and sitting in that seat is not going to change one thing, is it? Right? So I'm just alone for the ride. If if we're supposed to go out to Montana and we end up in Mexico, ain't much I can do about it. Right? There, there, is a, there is a contentment about knowing that 
if this guy up in the front of the plane who just a mere human has done this thousands of times and can get me where I need to go, there's a God who's never failed that is much better than him. So if I can have that much confidence and faith in some man that has a pilot's hat on, hello, you with me? I surely should be able to trust the God of heaven who always has been and always will be. See, when you get when God reveals himself to you, and that's what the revelation is about. We, we get all tore up when somebody says revelation. We'll say, boy, that's a scary book. It's not. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. And all that is seen and unseen is in his control. Man, you know what? Uh, when, when you got up this morning and you walked outside and the sun's shining, how many of you had any control over that? God did that, right? When, when it rains, how, how many of you had any control over that? You with me? We have control over very little. How many of you like me, you like to drive because you feel like you're in control? You're not in control. Man, that tire could pop, you end up in a, a light pole. person on the other side of the yellow line can veer into you. You're not in control. You with me? Even the things we think we can, tr- can control, we don't control them. And so there, there is a peace in knowing God's got it all under control. And he's trying to let this church know, listen, you don't have to worry about it. I, I know this was going to happen. I've got it all under control. And so he gives us the revelation as master. He is the master of it all. But then he comforts us in showing us that he is the sovereign as a man. The Bible said, which was dead. But, but look at this. Was dead is alive. In other words, he's showing his participation that he had been through the fire himself. See, whatever you're going through tonight, he's been there. Whatever your fire is, whatever your trial, whatever your tribulation, whatever you look, say, I, nobody understands. He's letting this church know that he was dead, but he is alive. What they're going through, he has been through himself. So, he, which was dead or the episode uh, through which he passed. Right? For you and I, without him, death is final. But when he died, praise God. He already said third day he's going to rise up. See, death is the final enemy. You with me? I mean, in the back of our mind, if we're honest, it bothers us. And even the faith that we have, there's an element, Brother Gary, we don't know what the other side's going to be. So even though we have faith in Jesus, as humans, there's something still in the back of our mind going, yeah, but you don't know what it's going to be. It, it is always before us, and there's always that fear of death. But here Jesus passed through that episode and came out on the other side. And, and let me help you with this, child of God. Because he's alive, you live. Right? Because he conquered death. Amen. You have eternal life. And, that, and so what I'm saying is we can trust him because he is victorious even over the final enemy. And then he deals with the reassurance of the saints. In this scripture, he's telling us in verse 8 that which was dead and is alive, he is aware of where they are. 
Now, friend, we think we're going through persecution today. We're, we're not. Sorry, being canceled is not the same as being cut in half. Right? Being, being made fun of as a, a fundy. You know, y'all are fundamentalists, aren't you? You're, you're IFB. Whatever, man. That's all you got for me, right? Call me, call me old-fashioned. All right. Maybe after people see the video of the, us doing them, they're not going to say that anymore. Praise God. That, that's all you got, right? Okay. Let's be honest, folks. We're a little too sensitive. He is aware of where they are. He has experienced what they experienced. And he's saying this, you're going to get through it. That's what he's saying. That's his hope. You're going to get through it. Oh, no, I don't feel. Just quit feeling. Just, just turn. Sometimes you've got to turn your feeling off. Because the devil can use that feeling and tell you, no, God's lying to you. You're not going to get through this. But he said he's got to honor his word. He doesn't have to honor your feeling. He's got to honor his word. Right? And so he's given the reassurance of the saints. So he gives the, he, he's, the commencement is him introducing himself. The commendation comes next in verse 9. He said, uh, I know thy works. That's pretty good, huh? And tribulation, that's good. And poverty. See, my Bible has in parentheses, but thou art rich. And I, I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. So let me go back to this again. When you think no one understands you, here's what he said in verse 9. I know. To say I know is not I think. What he's saying is I have experienced what you've experienced. Right? He's experienced all that you have experienced. And, and, and he understands. Matter of fact, he deals with uh, four things quickly. First of all, he deals with the pressure. Verse 9, I know thy works tribulation poverty and I know the blasphemy. So the, the explanation is tribulation. That word tribulation means pressure associated with grinding in the wheat. In other words, he understands that Satan is in the tribulation that he's allowing in these folks' life. The, remember this? Remember what Peter, uh, Jesus told Peter? He said, Peter, I prayed for you because Satan desires to have you, to sift you. And that's what Satan's doing today. He's, he's grinding and putting that pressure on God's people to try to break you. Not just you. And that's what he's saying. Not just you. All of you. And that's different for everybody, right? And, and what he'll do is he'll isolate you in your mind, get you thinking, feeling, I'm the only one. Nobody else going through what I'm going through. Look at all these people in church and they're smiling and, and they're happy and I'm depressed and discouraged and I'm, they don't know what I'm going through and nobody has it like I Am I right? See, you don't know what everybody else is going through. Some people just, like my wife, choose joy. 
Man, you got to choose joy at our house. You can't go in a room and there ain't a sign anywhere that says choose anything but that. Right? Sometimes you just got to turn around and look Satan in the face and say, you, mm-mm, not today, buddy. You throw what you want to, but, but my Savior has told me I know. I know. He knows. I may not know, and he may not know, and he may not. But Jesus said, I know. He knows there's pressure. And he understands that. And he's given us hope in this scripture that it does not have to be your defeat and your demise. But then he also gives us the expectation. In other words, he's telling them this because he did not want them to be surprised by persecution. And it's amazing to me, Brother Lee, how many of God's people, when persecution and tribulation come in their life, they go, I, I, I didn't see that coming. Friend, listen to me. All that live godly will suffer persecution. That's what your Bible says. And then when it happens, Brother Ed's like, well, why is God letting this happen to me? He said he was going to let it happen. Right? right. right? And so we're, he's, he's letting them know that they shouldn't be surprised. Well, you and I shouldn't be surprised either, should we? And then the extent he deals with that in the political and public persecution, the pressure. In other words, they were considered outlaws. We're, we're getting there. This disrespect of marriage act. If I don't marry two men, two women, I'm an outlaw. Uh, right? That's, that's, that's what it did. Thank you, conservatives. So-called, right? They were outlaws. The public, they were outcasts from society. If you believe in traditional marriage, you're not, you're not in this transgender whatever. You, whatever you, you don't line up with all that stuff. You're an outcast, man. You believe the Bible, you're an outcast. You believe in godliness, holiness. You're, even among Christians, you know what? You're an outcast. You're, hey, you're, a, you're some kind of legalist. You're, if you have any kind of standards in your life, you know what you are? A legalist Pharisee. If you, run, if you don't believe in running around Walmart half naked, you're a legalist, man. You don't believe in grace. Okay. Let me tell you something. Without justice, there's no mercy. If you don't have justice, if you don't have a just judge, you have no mercy. Right? Then the ex- next he deals with their poverty. While Smyrna was a wealthy city, the Christians had nothing. They were nothing. They didn't have a suit like we got. They didn't have a tie. They didn't have a truck or a car to go to church. They, they were the bottom of society. They weren't worried about their 401k. They didn't have one. Right? They weren't complaining about the price of eggs. Yes, sir. They didn't have any eggs. Now, how are we doing? Right? But spiritually, according to what God said, He said, I know thy works, tribulation, poverty, but thou art rich. Spiritually, they're rich. Smyrna counts you poor. I count you rich. Huh? Hallelujah. See, let me, let me, before long, before long, 
All this stuff down here ain't going to matter. We did a little, we won't do it, in, but we, in our class, we did a little math class today. You know what? People don't like to do math in Sunday school. It's school. You ought to be doing, learning some stuff, right? So, so here's what we did, right? There are, there are, somebody tell me, how many seconds are in, in a day? 86,400 seconds in a day. Somebody got the calculator out, right? 86,400 seconds. I believe that's right. Seconds in a day. Time. That's how, many, how much time you got every day. 86,400 seconds, right? We waste it, don't we? Here's what I said. I said, now, if I gave you a penny for every second, you looked at penny, that's not, even, not a lot of money, right? I used to find a penny, pick it up, then all day you'd have good luck. Now a penny, you're like, that's, my back will hurt longer, too long if I reach down and get that penny. Right? Some of you are so stinking superstitious, not on heads, you wouldn't pick it up anyway. Don't, don't matter to me. Leaving pennies, I'll get them, praise God. Because after this morning's class and I started learning, once you start stacking them pennies on top of it, you can, be, you can have some cash in the bank. But if you have a penny per second, we figured out, I believe this morning, you'd have $864 in a day if you, somebody gave you a penny for every second. Is that right? $864, $864 a day. I'd like to have $864 a day. Wouldn't you? In a week's time, now this is where my math is getting bad. I think it was, remember how much it was, somebody tell me, in a week? Five or six thousand dollars in a week. Fifty six hundred, I think, somewhere around there. Would you take fifty six hundred dollars a week? Right, this isn't trick. Some of you looking at me like, where's the catch? I'm saying fifty six hundred dollars a week. Would you take it? Fifty six hundred dollars a week, brother Junior. Now we multiply that about fifty two. Three hundred something thousand, I believe is what we figured out. Three hundred and fourteen out something something. In a year? You doing all right now for just a penny a second? Yeah. Now stretch that out over a lifetime. What did we figure? 21 million? Don't, don't let Uncle Sam, no, no, they'll send that to the Ukraine. If you, 21 million dollars. One penny, one second. Now you got one. Now you see how valuable your time is. Right. See how much you waste when you waste time, right. huh? Well, guess what? If you had that twenty-one million dollars, you're still gonna die. Come on, that's right. They they put you in the dirt. You ain't taking that with you, right? People say, I've never seen a U-Haul on the back of a hearse. Doesn't matter if there's one in there or not. You can be buried in your Maserati if you want to. It ain't going nowhere with you. It's just going to rust in the, in the dirt. Am I, you with me? Down here, it don't really matter that much what you got. Because one day, if the Lord doesn't come back, you're going in the ground. And if he does come back, uh, it's all going to burn up anyway. Or when he does come back. So if you know him, you are rich. If you've got inheritance up there, you are rich. Right. And so 
what the world looks at us as poor because we're, we're impoverished. God's saying, yeah, but I, I think you're rich. Then they, he deals with their profanity. He said, I know the blasphemy of them. Blasphemy means vilification, especially towards God. The enemies of Christ were tearing the church apart. Is that what happened today? He also experienced that himself. And then finally, the proclamation. I want you to see this. You don't see here in verse 9, verse, in uh, the church at Ephesus, there was a commendation. He said, here's what you're doing good, but here's what I got against you. Remember that? Right. You don't see that here. Right. See, it seems the proclamation is void of praise. In other words, it doesn't look to me like God's saying, look at all these good things you're doing. He's, not, he's also not condemning them. What I'm saying, he has no words of complaint against the church, but he's not making a whole lot about the church. And so in the midst of the tribulation, he said nothing. So here's what I want to leave you with, and I'm done. Don't rest all your hope on praise. Rest it on obedience and the fact that we share in his suffering. Just obedience. And I know, I know the Bible says we're to give honor where honor's due, right? We, we are. We should do that. But if you and I will just, in our mind and in our heart, decide tonight that we're just going to be obedient. I don't, I don't need a pat on the back. I don't need recognition. If God never blesses me, you know, the way I think I should be blessed, I'm okay with that. If my life is difficult and it's full of tribulation and I don't understand, I don't need God to, to come up beside of me and, you know, I'm, here's why I'm doing I don't need all that, right. right? If God's people just get back to the place where obedience is greater than sacrifice. Amen. Just doing what God tells us to do, right? I don't have to have explanation he doesn't have to, you know, come up beside of me. It's okay. You're, you know, I don't need, the, I don't, if we, now I'm not saying he won't do that. I'm just saying I shouldn't need that. Right. I should just do it because it's what he told me to do. That's, right. Amen. Yes, That's his church. Amen. We don't, they were just serving God, yeah. right? I, I I hope, I hope we do have a national revival. I do. Oh, we may not, though. Right. That doesn't mean I, that doesn't give me the right to quit on God. Yes, right. amen. I, I mean, I, Brother Jeff, if we never have an area-wide revival where the Holy Spirit's poured out, and that, that doesn't mean we as God's people just say, well, it didn't happen, let's just quit, right? right? When I get up tomorrow, you get up tomorrow, you know what we ought to do? Serve God. Times get worse in America. You know what we ought to do? Serve God. That's right. Things get better. Serve God. Yes. I, I shouldn't need the cheerleader. I should be able to go to Calvary, right? Remember, I should have been there, but he took my place and go, good enough for me. Good enough for me. 
Sure. You want me to go to Africa? Got it. Right. Let me go across the street, hand them a track. Good. Want me to run a bus? All right. Come on. Teach Good. Sunday school? Got it. Come on. Work in the nursery with what you did for me? Surely them little terrors can't <laughs> turn me from. Right. You see what I'm saying? Right. We get so caught up in us, That's we right. forget God's just saying, Obey me. Yes, I know where you've been. Yes. I know what's going on. I wouldn't ask you to do what wouldn't profit you. That's where we are. That's what I want to be. That hadn't always been, but that's what I want to be. I'm still, listen, I'm still flesh like you are. But that's where I want to get to, right? He knows. He knows. Let's stand together. Amen. Let's bow our heads tonight. Thank you so much for your attention.